Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem live podcast. I'm super excited to be here with you for another Saturday morning. This is going to be a pretty exciting podcast, I think, because we got a lot of things to cover in a very short time. Uh, we do have the lines open for those of you that would like to call during this time. You can call us uh, if you're in the U.S. or if you're in North America. You can call us from other parts of the world as well, but it probably is going to cost you because it's a U.S. number. But if you do want to call, it's one 348 77 Five, six. Again, that's one seven zero three three four eight seven seven five six. I know that a lot of people are listening to this podcast from our Back to Jerusalem podcast download. And for those, I'm super, super excited. That's where we get most of our people, by the way. Um, I, we have tried to get our message out using social media. And there was a time where social media had more uh, pep, more impact than our website. But today, our website is a lot, I mean, we, we get a lot more happening, a lot more visitors, a lot more people downloading our podcast, going to our website, reading our articles directly from our website, organically from our website, more than what we do from social media. So just five, 10 years ago, social media used to be our main way of interacting, but now it's our website. Uh, and I and I don't know why. I just think that people are more comfortable with going to backtojerusalem.com than waiting for an update on social media, in which they may never get, just because of the algorithms that are set up on most social media platforms. But for those of you that are downloading this podcast and listening to it at a time when it's not live, we want to thank you. We want to welcome you. We're super excited about you downloading this podcast from our podcast portion of our website, but for those of you that are listening to us live, for those of you that have been joining us on Saturday mornings, U.S. time, 10 a.m. every Saturday morning, at least during this COVID time, uh, we are super excited and very, very thankful. And uh, it, we probably will change the timing for this in the next couple of weeks. And at the end of this month, I plan to be back in China. We'll be doing this podcast from China. I hope to continue doing it live, but it will have to change just because 10 a.m. Sorry, guys, that is past my bedtime. I just, I don't stay up past like nine o'clock. I'm usually in bed by 8.30. We'll read something, look at some news, and then I'm lights out at nine. And so for me to stay up till 10, you're just not going to get an energetic, uh, information-packed podcast from me. I just, <laughs> I'm just called it quits uh, later on in my life at a certain time. And I, I need my full eight. I need eight to 10 hours of sleep at least. But today's going to be a super exciting podcast that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Uh, we're going to be talking about security. We're going to talk about, for those of you that are on the mission field, even for those that are not on the mission field, I want to talk to you about what is the best mobile phone for you to use to be secure. 
where you don't have people monitoring your every move. Uh, I also want to talk about a uh, workshop that we're going to be doing later on this month. I would love for everybody that is listening to this podcast, come and join us for this Back to Jerusalem workshop. It's called Bold Faith. It's going to have Brother Yun sharing with you live. So what we're doing is something a little unique where uh, we, because we've had to cancel all of the tours in North America for 2020, right? We decided let's do a B2J workshop. And a B2J workshop is not the same as watching online live. So it's not just a live broadcast. It is a live feed interaction. So we got different... Uh, areas that are hosting these meetings around the world. So we have in the United States, several of them, Brazil, Canada, um, UK, where people come together and in, in one location, one church, and one home group, and they are doing a Skype conference together with Brother Yun. We've never done that before. A live Skype conference with Brother Yun, where he can see you, you can see him, he's going to be sharing, you can ask questions, he'll be answering those questions directly. Uh, most of these venues are going to be pretty small, anywhere from 20 people to 200 people. So it's not going to be very big just because of social distancing, right? So uh, we want as many people to join us as possible. And we're looking for a way that people that are not able to be at those live venues to also be a part of the meetings. They won't be able to be interacting with Brother Yun, but you'll be able to see the meetings live and be able to see you know, Brother Yun interacting with others and hear some of the questions that others might bring up that you have as well. The other thing that I want to talk about that I believe is big news for this month and next month is why you need Ding Dash now. I really believe that we are going to see a choking point coming from social media in the next coming weeks because of elections in the United States. And Ding Dash is going to be a refuge for refugees. And we want to make that available to everybody so that you can share information that will not be allowed to be shared on open social media platforms that most people use today. And so I'm going to be talking about that. I'm going to wrap everything up with a with an article that I put online today. Depends on, you know, you may not see that article online um, if you're listening to this podcast after downloading it from our Back to Jerusalem podcast website. But if you are listening live, then you can go to our website right now and just look at the article that we put up today. It's a pretty phenomenal article. I've been uh, thinking about writing this article for a while. I resisted it. Uh, Hang on. We got our first call coming in. I know exactly who this is. Hello, this is Eugene with Back to Jerusalem. Is this Will? Yes, it is. Hey, brother. Good to hear your voice. Good to hear from you. How are how are things going? Well, so far they're going very well. Um, things have slowed down a little bit with the tours being canceled and things like that. But with the new workshop, that's picking back up again. So um, it's going well. Good, good. I'm glad that you called. Um, this is a pretty busy podcast just because I'm going to be talking about security and telling people, you know, what when people ask me, what do you recommend as far as security for phones? You know, do you would you recommend that I get an iPhone or an Android phone or what system? Um, I'm going to be sharing no that information. Phone. I recommend no phone. No <laughs> phone is the best way to go. That is, that is the best way for security, but probably not the best way for traveling as a missionary and going into other countries. Um, this is very true. 
Yeah, you, you kind of need that communication. I mean, I don't even know how he survived without them in the past. I, 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 we used to do I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know how either. I mean, I picked up people at the airport before I had a mobile phone. I traveled around the world before I had a mobile phone. Um, yeah. I, did, I did everything that I needed to do without a mobile phone. But today, I don't know how I would... Because I feel like I'm not that great of a planner, right? So uh, my phone helps bridge the gap from my lack of planning to actually doing what it is that I need to do because okay I didn't tell the person where to meet me when I arrive at the airport I didn't tell the person you know which exact restaurant you know to meet me at and so the the mobile phone has saved my butt in so many different uh instances I, just just the other day um I was supposed to meet with my father-in-law uh for lunch and so we were supposed to meet at this place called Pong's which is a kind of a fusion Asian restaurant in downtown Stockholm and there's two within 3 400 meters of each other so he went to one and I went to the other I didn't realize there were two so close together without mobile phones we would have both eaten lunch alone that day so it was great he just yes. called and said hey I don't see you there um I'm here we're sitting in the back room. Nope, still don't see you. Oh, you're at a different Pong's. Mobile phones. I, yeah. It just just a big big difference. So we're going to be we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about the Bold Faith B2J workshop which you just mentioned. It's going to be later on this month. Also, I want to talk yeah. about big news for this month and next month. We are seeing social media really clamp down because of the elections in the United States. So they're basically dictating who can share what, when you can share it, like all these different things. And so I want a ding dash to be a refuge for refugees, for social media refugees that have information that they want to share, but big media is not letting them do it. And then finally, I'm going to be talking about a prophecy. I don't know if you saw it or not. I put up a... Um, a news article on our website today on backtojerusalem.com about a pastor that prophesied that next month he had a vision that Chinese soldiers would be marching on the streets of Washington D.C. keeping order, and uh, so it was a it was a it's a prophecy that um, I'm just going to kind of end our podcast with. But right now, the reason why I'm super excited about you being on the podcast is because we have items that are for sale and discounted on the Back to Jerusalem website. We do, and I'd better go through it fast because all the things that you talked about, it sounds like about a three or four hour podcast. <laughs> and my Saturday morning podcasts have been that. They've been bleeding in the two hour, three hour zone. So um, I, I, I pray that I won't take up our listeners' time that much, but I do early on, I kind of want to hit these main points. And, and I think that what you are doing right now with... Uh, putting our items on on sale for uh, the autumn time is really gr- great for making you know the things that are that we have that are kind of overstock right now that we can sell to um, our supporters and our prayer partners. Well, most most of the items that we have on sale are actually um, the kids' items or brand new items. So um, let me start with so the first one is our brand new item. We have a back to Jerusalem's. We call it our BTJ Smuggler Hat, brand new. We've phased out our T-shirts and we brought in a hat instead. And so far, the hat has been a much better hit than the T-shirt. So, so this is just a simple black hat with the um, BTJ logo on the front and back to Jerusalem written in Chinese on the back. Uh, really attractive, really cool hat. But the cool thing about this one is it's called our smuggler's hat because inside the hat there's two little pockets that you can like tuck stuff in and you can wear it and you can use it to um, 
smuggle things in. So that's what we call our, our BTJ smugglers hat. This one is uh, normally sells for twelve dollars, which is originally or already a good deal because you can't buy new hats for twelve bucks anywhere. Uh, but it's on sale right now for ten bucks. So ten dollars in our store plus shipping uh, on sale. The BTJ, the brand new BTJ smugglers hat. And what I what I want to also share about this smuggler's hat is that it is a work in progress. So if you buy the smuggler's hat and you have new ideas about where to put secret pockets, send us your ideas because we have a new strategic partner in Vietnam that is helping us make these hats. And he'll make them at our specification whenever, however we want. Um, I'm going to be traveling into Vietnam and you are welcome to join us. You can join us. If you go to Back to Jerusalem, you can actually write to our travel coordinator. Her name's Belinda. And Belinda helps put together our prayer trips. And every year, Back to Jerusalem has prayer trips to go to different countries. We would love for you to come and join us to Vietnam because in Vietnam, and I'm going to be talking about this, especially as it relates to security of mobile phones. Everybody is moving over to Vietnam and leaving China because China has screwed the pooch when it comes to security. Everybody has seen that China's lacing all these electronics with monitoring devices to be able to find out who you're talking to, um, where you're going, what you're buying, like all this information is being leaked because China is lacing devices with monitoring, little monitoring devices that they've made up that allows the government to get tons of information on you. And I'm going to talk about how that is important directly to you as a Christian mm-hmm. in the future. But so many companies have moved over to Vietnam and I've helped them. I've worked with them. We've got some great Christian partners right in downtown Ho Chi Minh. We're going to take Back to Jerusalem prayer partners with us, introduce them to these factory owners and share with them how we are making new devices today that will impact the gospel for tomorrow in different regions of the world. In one of those areas, uh, we are making the Back to Jerusalem smugglers hat. And this smuggler's hat, like Will said, you can put in different devices into the hat or it's got secret pockets so you can have money, cards. I mean, let's say that um, you're going to go out for a morning run or go to the gym. You may not be wanting to carry your wallet. You may only want to carry like a gym membership card, a credit card, uh, maybe a few dollars in cash or something of that nature. You just put it in your Back to Jerusalem smuggler's hat. You don't need to be carrying that on your body at all. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. And if someone holds you up, they're not going to think to look inside your hat for your money. And your <laughs> that is true. Driver's that is true. Yeah, that's um, so far it's been a, a, a hot hit. Um, they've been selling pretty decently. So um, we're really excited about that product. So, um, the second one I want to talk about that we have on sale is one that we've actually had for quite a while. It's called our Baby Fufu. This is our um, handmade in Iraq, a little stuffed bear to remind kids to pray for the Chinese missionaries and for the people in Iraq. And it's also one of our characters in our children's books, which we'll get to in just a little bit. And the cool thing about this uh, baby Fufu is, like I just mentioned, it is handmade in Iraq by Iraqi refugee women. And so this dates back to whenever ISIS came in and invaded Iraq and, you know, people were fleeing and we saw a big need for people who couldn't find employment and um, a need for money just to support their families and you know, feed their children. And so instead of just going in and throwing money at people, uh, we started this project to get women in refugee villages to start crocheting and making these bears. 
and they're being paid by the piece for them, which turned out to be an amazing project for them because they're um, they're working very studiously, so they're they're turning them out quite a few a day, and they're making uh, pretty decent money by making these bears. So it's supporting them, it's supporting their family, and it's also a great reminder, a great tool to uh, give to your kids so that they can remember to pray for the Back to Jerusalem missionaries and for the refugees in Iraq. Um, the really exciting and cool thing about this is there's two different villages that we were in to get women to um, make these, and all the women from the one village who are working on this project have turned to Christ and have, um, through this project, have given their lives to Christ. So this is something that you can use. Uh, the proceeds from all of our products go to help support missions. So get yourself a tool, support women in Iraq, and teach your kids to pray for missions and support missions by doing so. I love these baby fufu bears just because you can't walk into Walmart. You're not going to stroll into Target and pick one of these bears up. These are all homemade, handmade by women that yeah. were victims of ISIS. And so these have... No the same. No two are the same. It's obvious they're handmade when you get two of them and set them beside yeah. each other and look at them. Not a factory-made product. It's a handmade product. Not a factory-made product. And when we say handmade, sometimes that can seem really cheesy, right? One of the things that I can tell yeah. you, if you feel that a lot of mission items that are for sale are cheesy, um, I agree with you. I, I mean, some of the products out there for missions just make me want to vomit. Not not because, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the idea behind them, I get it. The idea behind them is awesome. But the truth is, is that um, if I buy it, it, it sucks so bad that it's almost more charity for me to buy your product than to just give you money and not have to take garbage home. But I, I, I think that these baby fufu bears are something valuable in the way that they're really cool. They're very well made. The quality control on these is excellent. We had an amazing sister who went into Iraq a couple years ago when ISIS first went in and we had all of these refugees spilling over and even the sex slaves. And this was a project that was targeted to help the sex slaves so that they could have an independent source of income without having to go back into a lifestyle where they had nothing more than their bodies to sell in order to survive. And what we did was we started working together with them with this special lady that we were working together with. Her name was Paige. Paige went in and taught them, taught these ladies uh, that were living in these refugee camps how to make these bears. And then we supplied the materials and paid them per bear. And they began to make these beautiful, really amazing panda bears, which relate to baby Fufu or Fufu the panda bear uh, in our children's book series. And when I saw them for the very first time, I was like, this is a high quality product. This isn't a, some sort of please buy this because it's for a good cause. This is something that you know people would buy even on a shelf somewhere because they're just really good quality. They're really cool to look at. It's just, it's a great quality product. And, and a shout out to Paige for that because I've seen some of the ones that she um, pulled out and didn't send to us as she was training and teaching the women because some of them, some of them look very unique, but she spent a lot of time and a lot of effort training and teaching and showing the women how to make them so that we do have the quality product we have today. So shout out to Paige for that. Yes. And I mean, and this has kept going even after she left. And now we have a, a, an amazing yeah. person there that has continued bringing these on. What's the number right. of, of bears that we now have just at the U.S. office? Kind of just off the top oh, of your head. Goodness. My goodness. I don't know. Several thousand of them we have um, now that are, are sitting there. So, okay. Um, 
And, and guys that are listening to this podcast know that these prayer bears are an overstock. And our overstock is your blessing mm-hmm. because what we want to do is move these. Now, usually we wouldn't be in a place of overstock. We would move these out in large numbers during our Back to Jerusalem tours, which we do in the spring and the fall every year. Yeah. But both of those tours were canceled. And it's during those mm-hmm. tours where we're able to move thousands of these type of products. And oftentimes we give them away for free. I say oftentimes, every time. We basically, we kidnap your kids before they get into the sanctuary of the church where we're preaching at. We give them a bear and then we make you feel guilty about them getting something for free from a mission organization. And you come up back and give a donation for the bear. But uh, what we tell every kid that comes back to get a bear, uh, I, I, of course I was being facetious during that first part, but every child that comes back and gets a bear, we tell them, this bear is not for free. If you take one of these bears, you are making a commitment to pray for the persecuted Christians around the world. And so many of these kids, I mean, American kids have toys at their fingertips all around them all the time. But these bears obviously are something special because kids just really want them. They do. And, um, that first part that you mentioned, it is true that we do that, uh, give them to people, not that we do it to entice um, donations, but it's, it's funny because sometimes parents will come back with their child and going like, my kid just picked this up from your table and we're bringing it back. And it's like, no, 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 that's for him to have. You can, you can keep it. No problem. So, but it, it, it's, it's funny to see how it separates the honest parents from those who are like, oh, really? You swiped that? Good job, kid. <laughs> yeah, but we we have been blessed. This has been a great, great way for us to get um, children around the world praying for Back to Jerusalem is through the Back to Jerusalem yeah. prayer bear. And the Back to Jerusalem prayer bear, this baby fufu, this baby panda bear, comes from our Back to Jerusalem children's book series. And do you want to talk about that? Yes, we do. I do. Um, there's actually six of them. Uh, we're planning on putting 10 of them out and then seeing how that goes, possibly keep going. But we're working on a series of 10, and book six has just come out. It's called The Power of Love. And this one is uh, an interesting one because it actually tells the story of Penzen, which we have an adult version of that, too, leaving Buddha. So if you want, you can get your adult version. That one, unfortunately, is not on sale right now. But leaving Buddha and then The Power of Love is the children's version of the same story. And it just simply tells the story of a Tibetan Buddhist monk who, in his search for truth, found it. Um, And it's an amazing story, a powerful story. This book uh, normally runs, our kids' books normally run for $9.99 apiece, and it's on sale right now for $8.50. Along with it, we have two bundles where you can buy the entire bundles. Um, Books 1 through 6 are also both on sale, and we also have a bundle book 1 1 through 6 with our um, China prayer bearer thrown in with it, who is the main character in the book. And And while we're on the books, we also have the other two items we have for sale. We just came out with maps. There are Tales from Fufu's Forest maps. There's a uh, personal size, and there's a poster size. The poster size is, um, do you remember the size of it? I forget what the size of it is, even. Yeah. The uh, personal size is... Isn't it four times the the size of A4? The size of a um, piece of paper. Yeah. Um, I'm pulling up here. It's 18 by 23 is the poster size. 18 by 23... And the personal size is an eight and a half by eleven, so the U.S. standard size, not the A um, five size. It's the U.S. personal size, and that's on sale as well. So they're just 
cool little maps that have pictures of Fufu and Sean on them and have all the books on them. And then it has a map of um, Asia and um, just kind of tracks where uh, each story takes place. So it's just a cool little thing that the kids can look at and see where each story takes place on their own personal map. Yeah, these Back to Jerusalem children's books are completely unique. There's nothing else like them on the market that I know about. Because these are real stories that have taken place today or not too long ago of missionaries that are on the field in unreached areas preaching the gospel. These are real stories for children. So these stories... Real stories, but they're they're not the ones that we've normally heard of. They're not the, you know, like you said, they're not from way long ago, Adoniram Judson and all these guys that we already know those stories. These are brand new stories that nobody's heard of before. Yes, this is these these are stories that you know we might put into a, a prayer report, we might put into a newsletter, we might put into a, a a news article on our website, but not everybody's going to see it, and definitely not your children. I mean, you're not going to see too many five year olds logging on to backtojerusalem.com and reading our news articles on a regular basis. If they do, call me. We will send them a free Back to Jerusalem children's book. That's a that's a stinking awesome kid, uh, but. What we wanted to do is to take those stories uh, that we come in contact with on a regular basis and share with children stories of real heroes today. I mean, our children are being bombarded with people from the NBA, individuals from Hollywood. A lot of these people from Hollywood are just not great role models for our kids. These are not heroes for our kids to be looking up to. Uh, many of them are losers, uh, individuals that are just not worthy of being looked up to because they're, they're not being sacrificed. They're not sacrificing anything. They're basically wanting everybody around them to sacrifice and serve them. These are individuals who have given up their life to sacrifice and serve others in other countries that have never heard the gospel at all. And every one of these books also share about amazing miracles that are taking place. This is so great to teach our children about miracles that are happening today. They they are, and it's all done by fictitious characters who are telling true stories. So you've got, you know, talking animals. I like to refer to it as Winnie the Pooh with uh, character. Winnie the, Pooh, Winnie the Pooh with purpose. So they're um, great illustrations, amazing pictures, uh, awesome books. Your kids will love them. Yes, your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews. You might say, well, my, you know, my niece or my nephew is only a year old and they can't read yet. So what? The best way to encourage a child to learn is to read to them. These are perfect evening time books to read. Like Will said, this is like Winnie the Pooh with purpose. You, you have a young boy who grows up in the mountains of western China and he goes into this magical bamboo forest where he meets with Fufu and his friends that tell him, amazing true stories. This is basically like Christopher Robbins with uh, a a wilderness or great woods experience. Um, but this is, these are true stories. These are not f- stories of fantasy. And also every book teaches children a foreign language, teaches them the Chinese language. So you have Chinese characters hidden within the word. So the child is learning Chinese without even thinking about it. And then every book takes place in a different country, Tibet, China, Saudi Arabia, India, um, different regions around the world. And that's why we have a map. So not only do your children read the books, 
but then there's a map where they can actually look. This is where I'm at tonight when I'm going to bed. And this is where the story took place. And they get an idea uh, of geography. Let me, let me correct that. Unfortunately, the map does not have the U.S. on it or um, Europe or um, much other than it has a little bit of like Asia, some of the Middle East. So if you live in that country, you can map where you are and where you're going to. But it doesn't have, you know, Australia and um, Europe and the Americas and uh, where most of our donors are coming from. Right, right. So, but they, you can still track the movement of each book and see and what can, country they're in, relate that with the yep, culture, absolutely. relate that with the story. Absolutely. And you can throw your map down beside it and see where you are and, and track it around. Or It's a um, great tool, amazing tool. Yeah, and so this is the Back to Jerusalem Autumn Cell. Uh, we would love to move out as many as the, especially the bears, as many as possible, just because we are overstocked on them and we want to make our overstock your blessing. And so we, that's why we're putting these on sale right now during the autumn time. If you're thinking about Christmas gifts, these are going to be a great Christmas gift as well. So you can start shopping early and save. They do look a little pricey when you look at them on our website, but it's because, like we mentioned earlier, we pay by the piece for them, plus we have to pay to get them shipped from Iraq to here. But here's the deal. As of all our products, um, we try not to sell them because of our website. We have to set prices, but if you're in a financial difficult situation and you really want these products, uh, just send me an email, office at backtojerusalem.com, and let me know, and we'll send the products to you for a donation of any amount. This is something that we really want to do for those that say, especially if you are out of a job because of the coronavirus, if you are uh, someone that is retired, if you are a student and you're like, okay, well, I'm a student, so I don't have that kind of money. Um, call us, talk to us. We want that fellowship. We want you to be a prayer partner. You're, we covet your prayers. We covet your partnership. Uh, as we go out to proclaim the gospel in areas where the gospel has never been mentioned, we need as many partners on the ground lobbying uh, missiles, if you will, of prayer, prepping the area prior to the missionaries going there. And it is a, a great investment for us if we can get these tools into your hand to make you, your family, your children, a prayer partner for Back to Jerusalem. That's right. Absolutely. So, hey, brother, it's been great to hear from you. Thanks so much for, for calling in. Yeah, absolutely. It's been good talking to you again. Bless you, man. You too. See you. So that was really great. To, it's always great to hear from, from Will. But now let me jump back into what I was talking about because when it comes to the mobile phones, all right, people are asking, you know, about the mobile phones. Uh, what is the situation with uh, which one I should have, which one I shouldn't have? Would you require, would you say that iPhone is safer? Would you say that Android is safer? Well, back to Jerusalem, you have to know that security is one of our top priorities. We have to stay on top of the latest monitoring techniques practiced by governments around the world, especially those that are in those closed areas. We are always employing evasion strategies that allow our partners to minimize their risk and exposure. That is the bottom line. Uh, we, this is one of the reasons why I find this as a, an important topic because uh, mobile phones... Uh, is, is one of the things that cause a lot of concern when we start talking about security. We don't take this question lightly. 
You should know that. You should know that when I'm sharing this, it's not just a subject, it's something that is really dear to us. Because this is a question that we have to ask ourselves over and over again. This is not some, this is not some podcast that once I tell you today, it's settled forever. Security can change. The situation can change and I'll have to do an update and tell you that, you know, what I said in October of 2020 is no longer valid for January of 2021. But few organizations have their lives and safety pending on what type of phone they have, like back to Jerusalem. Few organizations in the world have had their leaders and workers arrested as many times as we have. (laughs) Our founding board members for the Back to Jerusalem organization have basically all been arrested and interrogated. We used to joke that that's kind of what you need as a prerequisite to get on the Back to Jerusalem board. I haven't really been uh, arrested per se, but I have been detained, kept short interrogation, nothing big, but everybody that we work together with on the Back to Jerusalem board, except for our newer members. I'm talking about our founding members, the founding members of the Back to Jerusalem board. That was almost a requirement. And all of the people that I work with, all of the top leaders have been arrested. One of our main spokespeople, Brother Yun, obviously his main story, The Heavenly Man, is about him being arrested and thrown in jail and kept there for years because of preaching the gospel. And He's always talking about how the the government officials and the police were able to locate where he was and apprehend him. So when we talk about mobile phone security, this is something that is a life and death situation, literally. This is also why Back to Jerusalem hosts an annual Back to Jerusalem Hackers Conference. We do this every year. And this Hackers Conference is where we bring Christian hackers from around the globe that have a calling to help Christian missionaries and Christian workers in closed countries to understand the threats against them and how to find ways around those threats. So every year, Back to Jerusalem gets multiple requests from missionaries and Christian believers alike concerned about security. And one of the number one questions that I continually get is, what is the better option for security, an iPhone or an Android phone? And the answer, to be honest, is quick. I'm going to make it as easy and as straightforward as possible. I'm not going to give you a bunch of, you know, crazy data information that goes over everybody's head. I want the simplest person that has nothing to do with security or IT at all to understand exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm going to try to make this simple. And I'm not going to make it simple just so that the simpletons can understand. I'm going to make it simple because I'm a simpleton and this is the best way I can explain it for myself to understand. Guys, I'm not an IT expert. I'm just a normal person learning like you. So when you hear me sharing, don't think for one second that I'm trying to somehow exalt myself as an IT professional because I am not, not even close. Um, I, 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 what makes me a little bit different, what probably puts me a little bit, you know, on the outer edges when it comes to, you know, being someone that is a little bit legitimate to share this type of podcast is that I have friends that work in the IT world and I spend a lot of time with them. They spend a lot of time, a lot of time explaining to me what's actually taking place because I'm a slow learner. So they have to speak slowly. 
They have to use diagrams. <laughs> they have to use charts. You know, they'll take salt shakers from the table and, and use them with sugar packets to kind of show me visually what's going on with my security on my phone in order for me to understand it. So I am not a high speed, low drag individual when it comes to security. So please, in no way am I claiming that I know what I'm talking about when it comes to security. What I'm going to be sharing with you are things that I have learned while being on the mission field, while being detained, while having my friends arrested, and while trying to uh, evade observation. And there are some things, basic things that we should all know, right? I mean, these are things that I believe kind of show how important it is to have a secure phone. That firewall that you think that you're using, that antivirus software that you think is super important that you've downloaded onto your phone or your computer, most of the security experts that I've talked to, most of the people that come to our hackers conference will tell you that that antivirus software or that firewall that you think you're using to make things safe is either irrelevant or obsolete. It's not keeping you safe at all. Did you know that there are 300,000 malware that are created every single day just to attack your mobile phone? 300,000 per day. And these guys don't just know how to create software that you'll download as malware. They know how to get around the different security apparatuses. They know how to exploit those uh, security problems on your phone to be able to get information directly about you. They know how to steal your data. They know how to take your information and they know how to rob you of your property. There is a hacker attack taking place every 39 seconds. So one per minute or more than one per minute. There's more power. This is one of the reasons why people do the hacking. They don't just do it for fun. They don't just do it for money. There's more power in accessing information on your phone than most presidents will ever have that are leading countries. Power is one of the main motivators for hackers around the world. Money is also a major motivator. There is more money in hacking than there has ever been in drugs. So when you talk about individuals that are out there doing big drug running and, and becoming multimillionaires, it is peanuts compared to what people can get if they're involved in hacking your information. Your information is valuable. Your information is money. Your information is power. And more people use their mobile phone these days than computers or any other device. Think about your own life. Many of you that are listening to this podcast right now are probably listening to it on a mobile phone. Mobile phones have been a, become an irreplaceable part of our life. I just talked about it with Will. I can't even think about traveling to another country, connecting with other people without having a, a mobile phone with me. There's only one country that I go to without a mobile phone and it drives me crazy without having my mobile phone. North Korea. Every time I go into North Korea, I leave my mobile phone at the Chinese border. But And the Chinese border usually has little boxes that you can rent for the time that you're inside North Korea. So I don't take my mobile phone inside of North Korea. I don't take any electronics inside of North Korea except for a camera. So there are times whenever I travel into North Korea, I'll take a camera with me and that is it. That's it. 
Guys, I'm so bored by the time I leave North Korea, I want to pull my eyeballs out with a spoon. I absolutely hate, there's nothing to do. I don't bring anything to read because everything is so picked up and I don't want to ruin anybody else's trip by bringing something that I want to read, something that I want to study, um, and then you know, get all of our visas canceled because I brought something that was super offensive to the North Korean regime. So I don't bring anything. So when you get there, you only have 24-hour propaganda on the TV. There's only so many hours that I spend praying. A lot of times I just sit, you know, kind of in dark rooms by myself, twiddling my thumbs with absolutely nothing to do. And it's during those times that I realize how much I actually rely on my mobile phone. And when I get my mobile phone, it's like a crack addict. I'm like slapping veins trying to get that injection as quickly as possible. I can't read my messages fast enough. I can't reply to my messages fast enough. This is something that all of us, I think, can relate to. And, and I'm not just talking about hackers when it comes to your mobile phone device. So a lot of people, when they think about their mobile phone device, you might be concerned about individuals that are going to rob you of your money. Brothers and sisters that are listening to this podcast right now, I can tell you that hackers that steal your money is probably the least of your concern. When I'm talking about hackers for your mobile phone, I'm talking about dangers that are coming directly from governments, dangers that are coming from companies, hackers having your information and using your information, not to steal money from your bank account, but but to manipulate your ideas and to even dictate help dictate uh, your thought pattern so that they can change how you feel about certain items and, and, and change the way that you engage in society. And you won't even know that you're being manipulated, but you are. You see, on your phone, you have a lot of information that can be used against you that you may not even think about. On your phone, you have your family photos. You have photos of things that make you happy, places that you've been, places that you spend your time, the people that you spend your time with. Anybody that gets access to these photos can tell so much about you because there's a lot of things on your mobile phone photo category or in your photo um, file that shares a lot of information that you may not even know about, but people can tell whether you're conservative or liberal, whether you're Christian or not, whether you're Chinese or not, whether you are having an affair on your wife or not, whether you are lonely or not. I mean, there's so many things that they can tell using your photos. You have your contact list. In your contact list, you may not even think about it, but people can construct an idea of who you are politically, who you are religiously, who you are financially, whether you're educated or not, just from your contact list, whether you are influential or not, just from your contact list. Uh, You probably have a lot of passwords saved on your mobile phone. You might think you're being slick. You might think that you're being clever by saving a password in a little file that nobody else really knows about. But to be honest, a hacker would be able to get into those files so quickly and find out what you're looking at the most often and be able to find passwords to bank accounts, be able to find passwords into your email, be able to find passwords into your social media accounts. They can learn all of that and get your banking information, get right inside your bank, and then with your bank information, without even stealing your money. So you might be thinking, oh crap, if they get my banking information, they're gonna rob me blind. I'm telling you, they can rob you without even touching your money. 
Because with your banking account, they can find out what are you spending your money on? Where does your money go? Where do where where your money is, there your heart is also. So they can tell what you really value. You might be on social media talking up a storm, how you're about for saving the earth, mother earth, green earth. But then in private, you're buying all kinds of stuff that is just belching out uh, pollutants all over the place. Um, You might talk about how Christian you are, but in private, you have 15 different memberships to 30 different porn sites. So... A person can tell a lot of information about your activity from your online banking without even touching a penny. And you may not think that there's any value in that, but that's because you don't think the way that someone that is criminally motivated does. There's all these people that are like, well, you can monitor everything I do. I don't have anything to hide. That is so stupid. Uh, You know, it's not about whether you're doing anything wrong or not. It's about when people have information on you, they can take that information and manipulate it in a way that can be used against you and your family, those you love, and even break down the society in which you live. This is powerful stuff. This is why I want to talk about what is the most secure phone for you to have. Because what information you have in your banking is important. What you buy is important. The the news sources that you use is important. What groups you belong to is important. Shopping clubs, air miles, gaming clubs, those things you may think that, oh, those aren't very important. That's because you're not thinking like a criminal. Those things are extremely important. Here's the thing. If I can find out, I was talking about this before on other podcasts. If you weren't with me when I was talking about the the China borrowed boats strategy, I'm not going to go back into it because it took me so long to talk about it before. But China has Chinese PLA, the People's Liberation Army, have what they call a, a borrowed boats strategy. It's called borrowed boats to go to sea. And what the theory is, what the idea is, what the strategy is, is that we don't have to buy and build our own boats to go to sea. We can do it far cheaper and more effectively, more efficiently by borrowing other people's boats. What that means is instead of building up a big industry based on communism and trying to get you into the communist boat, what the Chinese do is they find out what boat you are already in And then they commandeer that boat and lead you into communism. What I mean by that is that instead of building up this big company that brings you on and sells you on the idea of communism, and if you're a hardcore uh, uh, capitalist, you might, you know, they know that you would be, you know, pushing it off right away. But then instead of doing that, instead of being rejected, instead of spending all that money to go to waste, what the Chinese PLA with their borrowed boat strategy does is they go out and they buy uh, Ritz-Carlton. They go out and they buy Volvo. They go out and they buy GE. They go out and they buy uh, AM Theaters. And then with those companies that you trust, Volvo, with those movies that you go and watch at at AM theaters, with the hotel stays that you have at the Ritz-Carlton, if you've ever stayed at the Ritz-Carlton, I haven't, but maybe you have. What they do is then they use these companies, these brands that you trust, 
They buy them without you knowing about it. They keep the branding because so many years have gone into that branding so that you now trust it. And that with your trust, they have your seal of approval. And with your seal of approval now purchasing that borrowed boat, they now use that branding to lead you to communism. They put in little seeds that can be sown into your mind that is positive reinforcement of a strategy that they're trying to sell you. So by being able to identify using your mobile phone what your shop, what grocery stores you shop at, what clubs do you shop at, what uh, air miles do you have, what groups do you belong to, they could easily see that, okay, this is our target audience. We should be purchasing, um, you know, Chris Miles. We should be uh, purchasing uh, the American Airlines miles. And then we use that to subtly send you updates about good deals that you now have on airlines, to send you great deals about movies that are coming to our theater, to send you great deals about a hotel stay that you can now get for free. And laced in there is information that will lead you towards a communist way of thinking. And you don't even know it. That's the beautiful thing. You think it's your idea. It is superb marketing and it comes from information that is directly on your phone and it can be used to manipulate you. It can be used to change your vote. It can be used for you to supply resources, money, uh, customers to a certain, not just company, because that's a market competition, but to ideology, which is completely different. So when I, I, I want to, when, when I share about this, that's one of the things that I want to, I want to sh- talk about because you don't, you may not realize that the things that you talk about, your political leaning, the clubs that you belong to, the shops that you shop at, the things that you buy, your contact list, your photos, all of this is an absolute gold mine for someone that wants to manipulate you. Maps. Maps on your phone. You may not know that your phone basically never sleeps. You ever notice that? You ever notice how when you get a message, your phone lights up? It doesn't just go from off to on. It lights up because it's never off. And so it's giving you an alert while it's on that you have a message that comes through. Your phone is always looking for messages that are coming from nearby communication towers to let you know if anybody is communicating directly with you. And through these communication towers, now you can you can throw away your phone. You can take your phone and completely destroy it. It can be burned up and removed from the face of this earth, but one thing that will never be erased is your phone's identity number with different towers, cell phone towers around the world. And your information is captured on those towers and stored away for years. You can delete everything on your phone, but you will not be able to delete those, the information on those towers. And you might think, well, yeah, but who cares? Who, what information are those towers going to give? That, that reminds me of a former U.S. Marine. You know, everybody that listens to this podcast, if you've been listening to it at any amount of time at all, you'll know that I'm a former U.S. Marine, right? And as a former U.S. Marine, I'm kind of into stories about other U.S. Marines, especially as it pertains to ministry. One of the ministries that I've worked with for years, a really good friend of mine, is Joyce Meyer. And we've done Joyce Meyer projects for years in Iran, in North Korea, in China. 
Um, I just got a, a message uh, from Heidi Baker yesterday about some Bibles that we're sending to Mozambique. And those Bibles, I believe, are probably being supported by Joyce Meyer because they have Joyce Meyer material in them. And so I'm, I'm, we're supplying those Bibles. And I'm reminded of this U.S. Marine that used to work for Joyce Meyer. He worked for her for years. He was her top bodyguard. He was a guy by the name of Chris Coleman. And Chris Coleman was the person that arranged all of the security for Joyce Meyer. So when she was not so well known, he became her main security director. And when she became world known, he implemented this multi-million dollar security apparatus for her to keep her and those that ministered together with her safe. And... He has a story. I don't know how many people know about this. I, I read the book. And the book was written by a third party, somebody that was not fans of Joyce Meyer, but they wanted to expose uh, this event that took place with Chris Coleman. Now, Chris was a former U.S. Marine and he ran a security detail for Joyce Meyer, but here's the problem. He was married with two children and having an affair. And while he was having an affair, he had thought about divorcing his wife, but knew they had a, he had a pretty sweet job with Joyce Meyer. She paid him over a hundred grand a year and he, he was treated very well at the ministry. They looked after his family and he didn't want to leave that job. And he knew that if he divorced his wife and left his two kids for a woman that he was having an affair with, he probably would not be able to keep his job at the Joyce Meyer ministries. So something really bad happened. Um, one morning, he murdered his wife and his two young boys. And they were like less than 10 years old. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible situation. And he tried to blame it on a psycho. What he did was he wrote threatening messages to Joyce Meyer, which were then given over to the police department. And he basically told Joyce Meyer that he was going to kill her if she didn't deny Jesus Christ. And he was writing these letters as if he was a psycho. And then he was sending them to himself or, or to her, but he was in her, in, in blocking them himself because he was, quote unquote, in charge of Joyce Meyer's security. So as the person that was in charge of her, her security, he was concerned about these threatening letters that Joyce Meyer was receiving when actually he was the one writing them all along, which was later discovered by the police. And I'll tell you how the police found that out in a minute, but... What happened was um, he wanted to create a scenario where it made it look like the psycho that had been writing threatening letters to Joyce Meyer decided to kill the family of the, sec the security guy. So the security guy, uh, Chris Coleman, Christopher Coleman, uh, you can look this up. It's a, it's a crazy story. It's so dark and so sad. Uh, but what, what he did was he created an alibi, he killed his family. He created an alibi by going to the gym early in the morning and he tried to call his wife three times and said that he was concerned when she didn't answer. And when he came back, there was a huge, you know, he called the police. He told the police that uh, his wife and two young boys were killed in their beds early in the morning. And so he said, you know, he was at the gym, he left them, they were all fine. And then when he comes back, 
All three people in his family are killed, his wife and his two sons. Um, and then there's red spray paint used throughout the house, threatening Joyce Meyer, saying, I'll kill you, you're next, all these, you know, and this, it's using a lot of horrible language. Just so it looks like some madman came and it looks like he came early in the morning hours while Chris was at the gym. So that was his alibi. He was at the gym. You know how they ca caught him? They caught him because even though he got rid of his phone, they were able, the police were able to launch an investigation and establish a timeline of exactly where Chris was by looking at the pinging of the towers with his phone and the towers and using the, his international mobile equipment identity, the IMEI uh, number. This is a special number. So if you, you, you take apart your phone. You can't do this with iPhones, but if you have an older phone or if you have a Samsung phone or you have a, you have a phone where you can take the back off and remove the battery or whatever, you'll see that you have this IMEI number. This is a unique number that is given to only your phone and it never changes. You can change your SIM card. You can change whatever country you're traveling in, but that IMEI number never changes. It always remains the same. And so whenever you travel to another area, the nearest cell phone communication tower picks you up and begins to communicate with your phone. Even if you're not receiving phone calls, it's still communicating with your phone. And so when you send a telephone message to someone, it will go to a nearby tower. That nearby tower uh, connects that message to your phone, to your identity, and then to the identity of the mobile phone that you have. And then it sends it to another tower that you're trying to reach or the person that you're trying to reach. And then that tower collects information from your phone before alerting you that you've gotten a message or a call or whatever from another person. And so all the time, 24 seven, without you even knowing this communication is actually taking place. And so the police were able to establish an exact unarguable timeline of where Christopher was. And they were able to establish that his family was dead before he even left home. And rigor mortis had already set in by the time he was coming back from the gym. And so they were able to track the exact time that he was driving across a bridge and a pause that he might have taken, any phone calls that he made. All of this message, all of that information, they were able to use against him that he wasn't even not even aware of. See, he thought he was being clever by, you know, getting rid of his phone or using another phone or using a, a, a remote phone, not knowing that the tower was collecting information on him. There's a lot of people today that are using mobile phones and think you're being clever, you're being sneaky, that nobody's really going to know you're switching out uh, SIM cards. You cannot change that IMEI number, that International Mobile Equipment Identity number. So uh, when I say that I, again, let me reiterate, I'm not a security expert. I am not going to be able to give you the necessary data jargon that you need to be able to tell you which mobile phone to use. But I do have a background in military intelligence. Now that is more in thought than it actually is in practice because I didn't do anything in practice that would equip me for what I'm going to be telling you, but it did give me certain strategies that helped me choose which mobile phone I now use.
I've been working in closed countries and I'm always seeing problems and I'm always seeing security breaches. And so I do have experience with both the problems and security breaches and the way to get around them. And that's always changing, by the way. So what I'm telling you today may work today, but may not work tomorrow. So this is something that we have to stay up to date with. I've also been writing about these things for a while and I follow them closely. And so even though I don't have a formal education, you could say I have somewhat of an informal YouTube, Google education on this. I've been hosting annual hackers conferences for a few years and hackers from around the world have really given me a down and dirty education about the capabilities of monitoring mobile phones. And I've been a part of this process of submitting apps to both the iOS system, which uses for Apple and the Android system. Now I haven't actually written any apps that we submit, but I'm a part of the process of submitting apps for back to Jerusalem. So I know the challenges and the lack of challenges for submitting to both of those platforms, whether it's iOS or for Android. So this, I believe allows me to speak about which phone that you should probably use. And as we look at the different kind of phones, let me start first with iPhone. Okay. Because everybody kind of praises iPhone. Everybody that I know that is cool, that is techie, they usually carry an iPhone. And frankly, it's hard to argue with their assessment. When they tell you about the high security features that you have with iPhone, I don't have the technical background to stand toe to toe with them and tell them why they're wrong. Because I do know just from submitting uh, apps to the Apple app store, that Apple runs a tight ship. Apple keeps tight control of iPhones in the iOS system. Uh, Apple keeps their gates locked tight. They have great gatekeepers and they design everything to work with everything. In the past when people had a PC, right? So I used to use a PC. Now I don't use a PC. Now I use an Apple laptop, always. So I like uh, MacBook Air. Um, Sony used to have this really thin laptop. It's like the thinnest laptop ever that I absolutely loved. And I was a Sony fan. I was loyal to Sony for a while. And then one year, Sony, for whatever reason, decided to skip a year on doing light mobile laptops. I went in and all of their laptops looked like this 1990s Toshiba satellite that was my, my first computer. Big, bulky, looked like some science book. I've got a 200-year Bible right now that those laptops look like they're about the same size and the same weight of. I'm like, what are we doing? Going back in time? This is like the mid-2000s somewhere. And I was like, what are, what are you doing? I walked right out of that, that, that Sony shop, walked straight over to an Apple shop, picked up my very first Mac, um, um, air, air, Mac, MacBook air. That's what it's called. What it's what I'm using right now. MacBook air got a MacBook air and I've never looked back. Absolutely love it. I open it up. Never crashes on me. Never crashes. I, I've got the same one I've been using for a couple of years. Um, I open it up. It's ready to write. I don't have to wait for booting. I don't have to wait for software um, updates. I don't have to wait for uh, some security, uh, McAfee, antivirus, nothing. I've never put antivirus anything on my computer. Nothing ever. And I love it. It's super, I mean, it's super light. It's super thin. I carry it with me everywhere. I kudos to Apple. And one of the reasons why Apple does the, what they do is they make everything themselves. 
They, they tell everybody else, you know what? We're going to do this all in-house. And if you got an engineer that says, sorry, I can't make this processor work with these dimensions that you're wanting to create for your computer, then basically Apple says you're fired. Get out of our house and we're going to bring somebody in that can make a processor that will fit in the exact dimensions that we tell them to make it fit. And that's not always been the case. One of the reasons why my Toshiba satellite, one of the reasons why my Sony computer were, 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 were crap compared to my current MacBook Air is because they were piecemeal. Everything was made in all these different locations by different companies. And the communication didn't always work out. For instance, I had a Sony laptop, right? Sony sold me a laptop, but they didn't make the processor. The processor was usually made by Intel. So you had Intel making the processor. They didn't make the hard drive. Hard drive was made by a company like uh, Fujitsu. Um, they didn't make the motherboard. The motherboard was made by companies like Azus. They didn't make the software. The software was made by Windows. So you had all these different companies that specialized in their, uh, their, their objects. So if Sony went to them and said, hey, we are wanting to make our, our computers smaller, so we need you to make your motherboards of this dimension. Azus could say, you know what? We can't do it. Sony would be like, but you have to. And they'd say, who, who's the motherboard daddy here? Who, who is, who's the daddy of uh, the, the processor? Intel, right? Don't come in Intel's house telling Intel how to make Intel processors because we know more about processors than you do. Sony, get out of my house. You can buy what we make and put it in your computer. If it doesn't fit in your computer, then make a new computer or make a computer that doesn't need processors. Apple said, screw that. We're going to make processors. We're going to make motherboards. We're going to make hard drives in our house. We're going to make everything to work with everything. And our operating system is not going to come from Windows. It's not going to come from Linux. It's going to come from us. We're going to make our own in-house operating system. And so Apple started to make everything. And if they don't make, I just got somebody says Apple makes everything. Apple makes everything or they micromanage that making. So if they're not directly involved in the making of it, then they micromanage it. Unlike Sony, Dell, some of these other computer makers that did full-scale outsourcing, buying from companies that make these different products. So Apple came in and said, no, we're not doing that. And that's one of the things that makes Apple super stable because it's all made together. You're not piecemealing. You're not trying to figure out how does our processors work with a Zeus? How does a Zeus work with Intel? How does Fujitsu work with Sony? You know, all, how does all of these things fit in with an operating system from Windows? And how do we get all of these things working with the Windows newest launch of their newest, crappiest software. And that's what made Apple super stable and that's what made me fall in love with Apple. And I remember all the crashes. I remember all the frozen screens. I remember all the times where I would shut down my computer. I just close my lid thinking that I'm done for today and then would suddenly remember one note that I quickly have to add, but when you open up that computer, you got to wait for it to boot back up. Now that's not the same with Windows computers today, but they learned from Apple. Apple was the first computer that I had where I could just open up my, my computer and bam, I was ready to work at my station. 
I didn't have to wait for booting. I didn't have to wait for loading. I didn't have to wait for, you know, some little hourglass flipping upside down, uh, you know, back and forth over and over and over until finally I could start writing my first word. So that came from Apple and I thought that, that was a really great thing. So the independent software and app designers that design apps, when they go into Apple's store, Apple, because when, when it comes to independent software and app designers, uh, Apple doesn't really, to be honest, Apple doesn't want you to create apps for their store, but they allow you to because they realize that there's a lot of ingenuity out there and people would not stay with Apple if the only thing that was available for Apple software was Apple software. So Apple has opened up their phones, they've opened up their computers to software that you can put in from other sources. So for instance, right now I'm using Skype with my um, computer, with my Apple computer, and Skype works even though Apple does not own Skype. So uh, Apple opened up their software for independent software and app designers, but the gatekeepers Man, they keep it locked down. I know because we've submitted several apps to the App Store and it doesn't always go as planned. Sometimes you have um, date releases that you say that our new app is going to be available on these dates. And then I, we just did this with with um, our, our good friend Gabriel who, who came on. Uh, he had launched a brand new app for... His app is amazing Christian app that you can get for your phone. Um, it, it, we don't have it working with Ding Dash right now, but uh, we, we, we really want to. But he came on to the Back to Jerusalem podcast to do a, a release announcement. But then he had to send me a message and say, sorry, we can't do that release announcement for United Hive, which is the name of his uh, software. And so he said, you know, for the release of our software, we can't really do it on the date that we advertise because it wasn't accepted by the app store. And that happens all the time where early releases or release dates get screwed up because the app store, Apple, the iOS app store it says, no, sorry, we're not going to allow you in. And so you get delayed on your app, but here's the thing. It can be annoying. It can seem redundant and your app can be rejected for the dumbest of reasons, but it really does keep your phone safe. Apple goes through those apps with a fine tooth comb to make sure that your phone stays safe even while adding those apps. It's really what keeps malware off your phone and off your computer. Apple is keeping you pretty darn safe. Now, Android phones, what makes them different? What makes them different is they work a little bit. Android is a little bit like Microsoft in the way that Microsoft said, hey, guys, you create your hardware however you want, wherever you want. We just want to provide a a type of online software experience or a software operating system that is easy to use, easy to understand, and you can use it with all of your products. You don't have to create. You can do what you do best. You can create a phone. You can create a computer. And you you can use our software, our operating system. So uh, Android wanted to be more open. And that openness comes at a cost. So with that openness, Android phones are a little weaker in security because they don't have that tight lockdown that we see with Apple. 
They're open more if you got somebody that writes programs, if you got somebody that is a, a techie and they, they write code and they create software and they create apps, then they're probably going to enjoy using an Android phone a little bit more than using an Apple phone because an Apple phone can seem to be extremely restrictive for somebody that knows what they're doing. For all of us normal numbskulls out there, we are just happy to be safe. We just want something to do what it advertises it can do with as very little thought as possible. We don't want to think about all the code. We don't want to think about all of the jargon. We just want to use it for what we want to use it for and let it be thought free. Whereas people that are more involved in writing code, my 17 year old son, for instance, he, he likes using uh, Windows and he likes using Android. And the reason why he's kind of abandoned the Apple system is because he's a code writer. He likes to write code. He's fluent in a couple different computer languages. And it's one of the things that he feels more freedom in, especially when it comes to games. And so you get a lot more freedom for gamers. We get a lot more freedom for computer engineers, you get a lot more freedom for programmers when you are able to use an open system like that. But an open system does open itself up to more security. So with just that analysis, am I saying that Android is safer or not as safe as Apple? I would have to put it to you this way. I believe that even though Apple has a tighter gate to go through and much stronger gatekeepers to go through. I believe for me and my purposes and for what I've been recommended, Android is the safer way to go. And here's why. Because Apple does everything in-house and they do everything synchronized, if you can break in, even though Apple is harder to break into, if you can break into the system or you find a gap in the technology and you find an area that you can exploit, it will work. That exploitation will work on all Apple phones around the world. You see, when Apple does its updates, their updates are universal. The Apple updates hit all of their products that are out there. And so there is this universal connectivity for the iOS system that does not exist with other systems. Other systems are a little bit more independent. So even though Apple is more difficult to get into and it has fewer security flaws, if you do find a security uh, flaw that you can exploit, it doesn't just work on one phone. It works on all of them. It doesn't work on just on one model. It works on all the models. It doesn't just work on one year or one release of, 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 a, of an iPhone. It works on all of them. doesn't matter if it's an original. doesn't matter if it's an iPhone 10. doesn't matter if it's a big, small, whatever. I don't, you can tell I don't carry an Apple phone, so <laughs> my wife does. So I, I'm not that familiar with the iPhone. And the reason why I haven't gone to the iPhone when it comes to my phone is because I've been told this very thing. You see, one of the things that makes um, the Android system a little better is that if you can break into one Android system, because there's not a universal update system for Android. So if you break into one system, that depends, that break that you have depends on the model. It depends on the year, it depends on the Android software that you're using. And you're going to have to create another 
malware, another you're, uh, 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 backdoor for another Android system and another Android system. You're going to have to have like 10,000 different malwares that you have to design to get into all the different phones because you might be able to break into one uh, type of Android phone, but not all of the Android phones. So because of the diversity, it just it creates too much work for the criminal. Whereas iPhone has a lot of upfront work, but if you are successful, the rest of it is cake. So this is one of the main reasons why I recommend that people do Android. If you're looking for security, I would recommend Android over iPhone. Here's another reason. Android phone, Android is usually the, the software that you have for Samsung, LG, Moto, Asus phones. Those four phones are not made in China. iPhones are. And because iPhones are made in China, I don't trust them. I don't care what anybody tells you. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what uh, websites you send to me, what experts that you send to me on this. I do not trust phones made in China. End of story. Because it's made in China, you can tell me whatever story you want. You can quote whatever expert you want. You can tell me all about the process. Guys, I work in China. I live in China. I run factories in China. I know the process. I know what takes place on those floors. I know what doesn't take place on those floors. I know what true um, quality control management looks like and I know what it doesn't look like. I know what it, what it looks like when people come out and tell you that, oh, eat this lettuce. It came from China, but it's organic organic my butt. They sell it for an upsell price, but it's the same chemicals that goes on everything else. They just, there's not the kind of, uh, of integrity that you get with other companies around the world and other nations. You just don't, you, you have so many shoddy, uh, uh, shady things taking place inside China that you cannot tell me that you're making your iPhones inside China and those iPhones are secure without Chinese um, observation monitoring devices laced into those devices. I don't buy it. I don't care what you're selling. I'm not buying it. So for that reason and that reason alone before, I, I could have saved you all of the information on the tech information that I just gave you. But for that one purpose alone, I will not buy an iPhone to do the kind of work that I need to do because I do not trust any iPhone or I'm sorry, phone, period. Not just iPhone. I don't trust any phone made in China. I just don't. When it comes to security, if you go through all of the problems looking for who has the best operating software, who has the most secure um, gatekeeping to make sure that people are not lacing malware into my all of that. If you give me all of that, it means jack squat if it's still made in China. No, thank you. And so not only am I looking for an Android phone, I'm looking for an Android phone that is not made in China. This is so important. So for those of you that are listening to this podcast, let me just give you a piece of advice. If you're looking for a phone that is secure in countries where it, the gospel is closed and you're wanting something a little more safe. Now, this isn't going to guarantee your safety in any way, but it's going to give you a better chance at being safe. The first thing to do outside of looking at whether it's an, it's an iPhone or Android, I've already told you iPhone's kind of off the shelf for me. 
iPhone, I, I could have, I know that I could have made this podcast a lot shorter by telling you upfront not to buy iPhone, but that's just my opinion. iPhone is not safe because it's made in China. If you can buy an iPhone that is not made in China, then you're golden. I, then you're, then we're talking about a different setup. You still have the weight of all of the systems being updated instead of the broken down many different networks of the Android system, which I believe is actually safer just because I believe most people are like me, lazy, and they're going to take the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance when breaking into something, even though it might look like, yes, individual Android phones are easier to break into than individual iPhones, but that individual uh, Android phone will only give you limited access to limited number of phones. Whereas access into one iPhone gives you access into all iPhones. And so the path of least resistance, at least in my mind, is to attack iPhones because iPhones might be harder in the upfront investment capital that you have to invest, but it has bigger dividends if you are successful. But LG made by Koreans, made in Korea, or made in Vietnam. Samsung, made by Koreans, made in Korea, or made in Vietnam. I know that Samsung ended all of their mobile phone um, uh, production in China last year. It was a good move. I applaud the move. I'm super happy about that. Go Samsung, because that for me told me that they take security very seriously. They didn't announce it. They didn't say we're leaving China because of security, but we we want to make sure that um, we, we give our customers a phone that is the safest as it can be. Somebody just wrote and said, I wonder what phone Trump has. I have n- no clue, but it's you know, it's, uh, it'd be very interesting to, to see. Um, my assumption is, is it could be an iPhone, uh, made in America. If it's made in China, I wouldn't trust it. I would not trust it because no matter what you do, once it's been laced, you can't really get rid of the hardware and it doesn't make any sense. Why would you buy a phone that you have to basically replace the entire hardware on the inside of it? Um, did you ever read the article about the supercomputers in California that they find this little rice-sized device that is on their supercomputers? And keep in mind, supercomputer technology is illegal to sell to Chinese. But the things that were needed for the supercomputers to be operational were bought from China. So the very technology that the U.S. kept from China, they were, in, they were installing hardware into their technology that was coming from China and the Chinese items that were coming into these supercomputers. And when we're talking about supercomputers, we're talking about individuals putting them together no more about computers than almost anybody. These are the fastest, most advanced computers in the world and they're buying products to make it run from China. And those products are laced with security devices. And you can go and see that these things are laced with observation uh, devices that one of them was about the size of a small piece of rice and nobody knew what it was. And then they found out China had been monitoring that computer system for the entire amount of time that they had that device in there. That's why I don't trust anything that's made in China when it comes to security. I just don't. So I would recommend, so um, Modo is done in India, Asus is done in Taiwan. And these are phones that I would simply highly recommend. Now, uh, the, that is the, the f- part about the phones that I wanted to talk about. But just briefly, let me talk about a couple other things when it comes to security, because this is a big deal. 
Like I said, it's a big deal for us. When looking at the things that you put on your phone, so it, let's say that you buy an LG phone, you buy a Samsung phone, which is what I carry. I carry a Samsung. So I have a, 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 a Samsung 10. It's a couple years old. Um, it's, uh, it's a perfect little phone. Absolutely love it. I dropped it, cracked the screen. So I've been using it with a cracked screen. It's pretty ghetto at the moment, but it's been working perfectly for me. Been a great phone. I'm pretty, uh, satisfied. It's made in Korea. I'm sorry. Made in, uh, uh, yeah, made in Korea. And I'm just super satisfied with it. But once you put on Google, once you put on Facebook, once you put on Twitter, you then come to a different problem when it comes to security. Now, this is something that you need to be aware of, a different kind of security. And there is actually testimony that's taking place before Congress right now that's being demanded by a a congressional security committee, and they want Google, Facebook, and Twitter to testify before Congress before the elections in November 3rd to find out about election security. And this is something that I think is really important for us to know. I want to share this with you. I'm going to be doing another podcast at a different time on this because guys, what we're seeing right now is freaky. Facebook has plans not to announce the election winner on November 3rd and not to allow anyone else to announce it either for quote unquote election security. Facebook, Twitter, Google, they're already blocking tons of ads. Twitter is shutting down accounts. There is a manipulation process to feed you information that these corporate giants want you to get. Now, you might agree with these corporations. You might agree with their political leaning. You might agree to their social desire to serve society. But they don't have, or they shouldn't have, in my opinion, they should not have the right to restrict people's speech. I want you to do me a favor. Some of you that are sitting by a computer or sitting close by, look up the name Robert Epstein. I've already talked about him before, but if you haven't heard me share about him on a podcast, I would highly recommend you do your own independent resource re- research and look up Robert Epstein. He is an American psychologist. He earned his, this guy's not a joke. He earned his PhD in psychology at Harvard University. He's the editor-in-chief of Psychology Today. He's a visiting scholar at the University of California, San Diego, UCSD, and he's the founding and director director of the Cambridge Center for Behavioral Studies in Cancord, Massachusetts. This guy comes with a resume about as long as my leg, about as academically qualified as you can get. An individual that was in charge of the Google operations for the psychological uh, operations at Google, worked for Google uh, up until 2019 when he came before Congress and gave a whistle-blowing testimony that will blow your mind. Didn't hear about it? It's because you weren't supposed to. It's very easy to go on, his testimony is still available. You can still find the videos. I think that they're on YouTube. If they're not on YouTube, there's other websites that are hosting C-SPAN. This is, these are C-SPAN hearings of Robert Epstein uh, testifying before Congress. Robert Epstein voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. So he's a liberal. He's not a conservative, but what he saw caused him concern 
because he saw the manipulation of votes. And he says that he believes that with Google's power, Google will be able to manipulate up to 15 million votes for the 2020 election year. And he's recommending that Google's search index be made public. Because in a clarification, he was to a question asked by Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, Robert said that 2.6 million is the rock bottom minimum of how many votes will be swung by uh, or were swung by Google in the 2016 election for Hillary Clinton. Now, what you heard about were votes that might have been um, uh, swayed by the Russian government, you know, during the whole Russian investigation. What you didn't hear about is how Google used their power to shift votes for Hillary. Uh, According to Robert Epstein, who worked for Google, 2.6 million votes were swung towards Hillary during the 2016 election, bare minimum. Guys, this is a big deal. Google dismissed Epstein's research and say it's nothing more than poorly constructed conspiracy theory. Of course they're going to say that. They're going to try to put this into a category of conspiracy theories and and individuals wearing um, tinfoil hats on top of their head and, and, and coming up with crazy theories. This is an individual that worked for Google, voted for Hillary, very well educated, and knows what he's talking about. And he's saying the same is coming for 2020. Now, we're already starting to see that uh, Google and Facebook and Twitter are starting to clamp down on information that they don't agree with as it goes into next month's election. And some of you might find your accounts locked. And this is what I want to share with you. Guys, information is vital. We need to be able to share with one another. We need to be able to pray with one another. And we need need to be able to do it without the influence of these massive secular corporations. And that's why we have dingdash.com. At dingdash.com, what we want to do is provide people from around the world, provide Christians from around the world the ability to connect with one another and share information with one another without being shut down. No matter how crazy your information is, I promise you, we will not be shutting down information. If there is information that you have about the 2020 election in the United States on November 3rd, you can share it on dingdash.com with all of the people that are a community there. This will be a free space for, for refugees fleeing from social media crackdowns. So if you find yourself locked out of your Twitter account, if you find yourself locked out of your YouTube account, if you find that you can't log on to you or Facebook or that you can't post anything for Facebook for 30 days, or you can't share anything on Facebook because of something that you posted that they didn't like. So they blocked you come to ding dash. We welcome you with open arms. We are a small family. We are a welcoming family and we love the idea of freedom of information. Right now is the time to get Ding Dash for your computer or log on. We have already started to experience some attacks, but nothing big, nothing that we were not able to handle. There were some some spam bots that came up on Ding Dash, but we were able to get rid of them. We got a great team 
of volunteers that are ready to serve the community of Dingdash. Dingdash was started by Back to Jerusalem. Dingdash was started for Back to Jerusalem. Dingdash was started by Christians working in closed countries. Dingdash was started for Christians living in closed countries. We are an organization and a social media platform that you can trust. So Dingdash is a refuge for digital refugees and we would love to have it have you join us. Now, as I'm talking about this kind of social media blocking, let me just share with you really quick a uh, vision, a, a testimony that came from a pastor um, in the United States. This is a pastor. I reached out to him. I tried to bring him onto the Back to Jerusalem podcast, but was not able to get him onto our Back to Jerusalem. We, we communicated. We shared a few messages, uh, but it turns out as soon as his his uh, vision, his prophecies, prophetic dreams started to make it onto YouTube. He became super busy, super fast. So the day we had planned uh, and arranged for our podcast, I called him and at the last minute he had someone come into his office, needed counseling. He wasn't able to do that podcast. And then we just never connected for another agreed upon time for our podcast. And so the, 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 the pastor that I'm talking about is a guy by the name of uh, Dana Coverstone. He's a pastor in a small rural town in southern Kentucky, not too far from the location where my, my parents lived for many years. Uh, he's in a small rural town called Burksville, Kentucky. And Pastor Dana has garnered considerable attention in recent months because of a prophetic dream that he had and posted it on YouTube. And... In that prophetic dream, he predicted that Chinese and Russian troops would be marching on America's capital. And it's something I want to talk about. I want to address. I want to kind of get it on record. And it's something I want you guys to pray about, especially as it relates to being monitored, especially as it relates to being able to communicate. Because if something like this did happen, Ding Dash would be a great location for you to go and communicate back and forth with one another. And one of the videos posted by Pastor Dana um, he, he claims very clearly and says, quote, I'm not a prophet. I don't claim to be a prophet by any means. That's what he said. Uh, I do not claim to be a prophet by any means, but he believes that God has given him a series of dreams as a stark warning to Christians this coming November. So what he said was, first of all, let me just start off by saying this. Pastor Dana first had a dream in December, according to his YouTube video. In December of 2019, he saw a calendar where on the calendar, they was flipping through the different months. And I'm not going to get this exactly as he said it, but this is the gist of it. That uh, he had a dream where God showed him a calendar. And on that calendar, um, he saw the flipping through of months. And when it got to the month of March, March was underlined and a finger tapped on March three times, indicating the importance of March. And then it went from March, April, May, June. And then again, it stopped on June and June was again underlined. And he had this finger that tapped on June again. And in that dream from March to June, uh, Pastor Dana had a dream that he shared in December of 2019 with the staff at his church. And he says that you can contact the staff at his church to verify this. But it's, it says that um, he said, I saw in my dream that would take place between March and June of 2020. I saw in my dream, I saw protests. I saw people marching. I saw people wearing masks. I saw people lined 
up at hospitals. Um, I saw violence and he starts talking about basically he paints a picture of what we've seen in the major American cities for the last couple of months. And he says that he shared exactly what would happen in America from March to June with his church. But what's disturbing is he didn't just have a dream about from March to June, but he also had another dream that that concerns November. And so um, Pastor Dana said that in his dream, he again saw, this is kind of part two of his dream. He has a three-part dream and part two of his dream takes place in November. And so he, he... he posts the video, I think in June or July there over the summer of this year, he posts about this dream because he didn't post about the first one. And he felt like this one he needs to post about. So he posts about the dream and he says in the dream again, he sees a calendar and on the calendar, it flips through, uh, September, October, November. But when the map comes to November, instead of a finger tapping on the calendar for the month of November, it's a fist and the fist pounds, punches, the calendar and the the calendar shatters with numbers and letters going everywhere. And in his dream for November, he said, I saw Washington DC on fire. I saw Washington DC blazing. I saw fires everywhere. I saw people rounded up. I saw Chinese and Russian soldiers on the ground and Russian soldiers were telling Chinese soldiers to go and pick up these people and round up those people secure this quadrant, secure this area. He said, I saw blue helmets of the UN. I saw military things taking place. I also saw no sign of President Trump. So in his dream, Pastor Dana says, for November of 2020, this vision that God gave him, he saw no sign of President Trump. In fact, he saw no sign of American leadership anywhere in Washington, D.C., He saw foreign countries coming in. He said, I saw banks with their roofs ripped off and like a vacuum cleaner coming in and sucking up all the finances out of these amazing, these big uh, banks was just being sucked up into a vacuum and carried away to to other countries. And that... uh, Politicians were in the in back rooms making deals and patting themselves on the back. And America was coming under this kind of martial law type of environment that was run by an international community, policed by the Russians and the Chinese. And he said that during this dream, during this vision, he kept getting the words over and over again, brace yourself, brace yourself. So we really wanted to hear from Pastor Dana after he had this vision and posted on YouTube. It's got almost a million views now. It's like over 900,000 views on YouTube. You can go to our website, backtojerusalem.com, find the history where we have actually written about this, or you can just look up Pastor David on YouTube by typing in his name, Dana Coverstone, Pastor Vision you know, America 2020, something like that. You'll probably find it on YouTube or just go to our website, backtojerusalem.com and there you'll find uh, an article about Pastor David. Now, is that going to come true? I don't know. Time will tell. November is pretty close. It's not that far away. It's only a few weeks. It's only next month. 
So are those visions warnings in danger for the immediate future? Or are they something else? We shall see very soon. But here's the thing. We're already starting to see a policing taking place on the internet. A policing taking place that is restricting speech of Christians. And Ding Dash presents an arena where Christians can come together and share vital information that I need, you need, we all need to be able to pray together, to be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves, as the Bible tells us. So if I could, I am asking, begging for you as a Christian to take the precautionary step right now and download dingdash.com software onto your phone so that you can have that or at least log on to dingdash.com, create an account where you can at least be ready for your account to be blocked or locked down. And when it is, you'll already have an account with dingdash.com and you can write to us and share with the community and let other people, because other people, if it's happening to you, it's probably going to be happening to others. Now, guys, I don't want to scare anybody. I don't want to freak anybody out. I don't want to cause a panic. I believe in Romans 8, 28, that all things, all things work together for good of those that love the Lord. And this too shall pass. And this too was promised. And we know that the tribulation is on its way. We know that the Armageddon is on its way. We know the end times are in the works. We know that this world will not last forever. We know that we have been promised persecution. We know these things because Jesus promised them. And guys, we have to be prepared. We have to be Joseph to take the good times and prepare for the bad times. To take the grain of the good crops and prepare them for the times when the grains are not there due to famine and still be able to feed the people. We need to be wise with what God has given to us. We need to be able to put the blood of the lamb on our doors during the time of plague. Dingdash.com will allow us to communicate with one another in an underground type of way with Christians around the world. Maybe Christians in China can be the canary in the coal mine to be able to share information that you don't yet have in America, to prepare you in America for what's coming down range that Christians in China are already going through. Maybe the Christians in in, uh, Thailand can tell us what's going on before it hits Hong Kong. And Christians in Hong Kong can tell us what's going on before it hits London. And Christians in London can tell us what's taking place before Christians hear about it in Kansas City. We can share information through dingdash.com in a very efficient way. And here's the thing about dingdash.com. We don't have any algorithms saying who gets to say what, who doesn't get to say what. When you have friends, when you post, you get automatic access to all of the people that have chosen to follow you. And you also get information from people that you choose to follow. Unlike Twitter, where you sign on to follow people, but because that person that you chose to follow is not putting up information that the company really likes, you don't get to see everything that they put. I have it all the time. I follow one person on Twitter. One. That's it. Donald Trump. Why? Because he's the president of the United States. Loving or hating doesn't really matter. He's the person that I follow on Twitter because that's the medium that he uses to communicate. I hope one day he'll use Ding Dash. Uh, But at the moment, 
we see that he uses Twitter to communicate directly with the masses. So I use Twitter to be able to follow him and see what he puts out and see how that measures up with all of the news that I'm reading on a daily basis, whether it's BBC, CNN, Huffington Post, Politico. I want to see what it is that Trump says that is not being reported about by mainstream media. And if I follow only one person on Twitter, you would think that when I sign on to Twitter, he would be the person that I see. Nope. I see all kinds of people on Twitter that I've never signed up. How do I know I've never signed up? Because I've only chosen to follow one person. And I find it humorous, fun, and experimental to follow those individuals or to see who Twitter thinks I should listen to. I can go onto my phone right now. I'm going to do it. I'm going to open up my phone right now just as a test. Go to Twitter. So I'm opening up my phone. You can't see it because this is audio. It could be lying to you, but I'm not. Just take my word for it. Um, I'm opening up Twitter right now to see uh, who they got me following. I'm I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. Uh, It started playing. So can you hear? Right away, I get hit with a, I get hit with an ad. So I got a video ad that came on from IG.com. It's in Swedish, so you probably won't understand what they're saying. But my top, my my very top um, tweet is from IG Sveria, which is, I'm I'm not even sure what IG does. So IG Sveria, uh, which is some company wanting to advertise to me. And so they're um, suggesting that I follow Brian Simmons, who is a pastor, revivalist, translator, and follows, uh, uh, and it says, Back to Jerusalem follows Brian Simmons and recommends that I should follow as well. And it says that I should follow Melania Trump and Donald Trump. So those three did not do what I thought that they would do. But when I put in uh, recommendations, it puts in CNN and Obama. Obama almost always comes up. It's kind of like the number one person that they want me to follow. I see it all the time. Open up my phone. I don't go directly to Trump's tweet feed. Let me see. I didn't even go to the tweet feeds. I just went to who do they want me to follow. And I read to you the um, uh, tweet that I got, that I the um, advertisement, right, from IG. So I got The Guardian. Um, I got... IG Sferi again. I have uh, Beth Moore, uh, who is Christian. Okay, I'm not mad about that. Uh, Climacell, which is another advertisement. Um, Josh Kaplan, CBS News, um, something that that Donald Trump um, retweeted. Uh, Joe Biden. I got a Joe Biden feed on my tweet. I got... Um, crypto.com, another advertisement, uh, Dr. Uh, or no, sorry, uh, Boris Johnson Antifa. I got an Antifa public service announcement tweet. Um, so anyway, the reason why I wanted to share that is because, uh, when, even though I only follow one person, Twitter tries to direct who I see. They try to manipulate who I'm reading. They try to Uh, tailor my feed in a way that they believe will influence my decision-making process by only allowing me to see certain information. You won't get that on DingDash. So if you go on DingDash, you will be able to have free and open reign 
to be able to hear from others. Like I said, we're a small family. So whenever you put anything up as a ding, more than likely everybody on Ding Dash will see it. On Twitter, you have tens of millions of people on Twitter, but you don't have tens of millions of people seeing your tweet. On Ding Dash, we only have a couple thousand people, but when you sign on, everybody on Ding Dash sees that ding. So anyway, I hope that this podcast was a help for you. I pray that it was a benefit. Uh, now you know that I choose, at least at this point, I might change tomorrow, but at this point, I choose the Android system over iPhone. And I choose, for me personally, I use Samsung because it's not made in China and it uses Android. Uh, these are the reasons why I choose and recommend Android phone. And also, I hope that you go on and sign on to DingDash. I am thankful for all of you that have decided to come and join us on backtojerusalem.com forward slash live. And I'm so thankful for those of you that downloaded this podcast and have listened to it wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much. Again, I'm Eugene Bach coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you.